we're just going to dive right into it tonight. We are in Isaiah 31. So we pick up uh, basically where we left off in chapter 30 was um, Judah was facing invasion from the Assyrians, right? Remember, the Assyrians are the, are the big bad guy in this book. Uh, we get some stuff about Babylon in there as well, but Assyria is, is the big baddie. And uh, they're facing invasion from them. And King Hezekiah sent a delegation to uh, Egypt to try to buy their uh, protection from Assyria. So they tried to make a, um, an alliance with, of all places, the place that they used to be slaves. They, they tried to make an alliance with Egypt. And God was not super thrilled about that, and he's going to talk about it a little bit more tonight. But, so uh, we'll go ahead and pray, ask God to help us understand it, and we'll get right to it. Lord, we thank you again for giving us the opportunity to, to worship and fellowship, uh, just that we have a place that we can gather together like this, and also, Lord, for the technology to be able to uh, share your word with people all around the world. Uh, we just pray tonight that you would bless, uh, bless us to be able to see you more clearly, understand you better through your word, and uh, Lord, help us to understand uh, the message that you gave Isaiah so many centuries ago. We know some of it was for the people of his time, but much of it is for, uh, for us upon whom the ends of the age have come. So we pray you help us to understand and leave here knowing you a little bit better than when we arrived. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Isaiah 31, verse 1. It says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt uh, for help, and rely on horses, and trust in chariots, because they are, uh, because they are many, and in horsemen, because they are very strong. But they do not look to the Holy One of Israel, nor seek the Lord. You know, earlier than this, in the, in the Psalms, uh, the psalmist said this in Psalm 20, verse 7. It says, uh, some boast in chariots, and some in horses, but we will boast in the name of our Lord, uh, in the name of the Lord our God. That was something that Isaiah and all the people uh, that were alive during his time would have been familiar with. But here they are doing the very thing that uh, they'd been warned not to do multiple times. But you, you, so we see God's not thrilled. But it's not that God doesn't want us to ever seek help from someone, uh, from another person. It's the problem was. Trusting in Egypt uh, and not involving God at all. Not trusting in Him. And something to keep in mind uh, when you study the, the Scriptures, not just Isaiah, but elsewhere, uh, Egypt most often is, is a picture of uh, our flesh. Right? It's, it's supposed to symbolize our, uh, our sin nature. And so God, in a, in a way, is saying... Look, you're, you're turning to fleshly things before you ever even tried to involve me. And I think that most of us can probably, if we're honest, we would admit that we do that all the time. I'll give you one example. Um, when you have anxiety or, or worry, how do you handle it? Now, some of us, we, uh, we eat, uh, or we go shopping, or we shop on our phone, 
Um, some of you weirdos exercise. That's probably about the healthiest thing on this list, right? That's a, that's a good way to handle, but, but still, it, it is a way to, you know, to cope. Um, maybe you just complain about the things you're worried about and you have anxiety over. Or you binge TV shows, right? It, it, it's, a, it's a form of escapism. And, then, and the further you go into that, the, the less healthy it gets, right? You, maybe you drink to escape. Maybe you do drugs to escape. Maybe uh, you sleep to, you know, sleep too much and try not to think about it. Whatever it is, all of those are, are things that our flesh leads us to do uh, when we're worried or anxious. Now, God's way is this. In Philippians 4, verse 6, he says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So, think about that. He said, first of all, when you're worried, when you're anxious, I want you to remember the things in your life that are good, right? Because you can get in that negative spiral, right? Once you're in a bad mood, everything stinks, right? And we've all been there, right? He says, I want you to be thankful. I want you to talk to me about it. Uh, And then, verse 7, the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, I know that's easier said than done, but still, God never calls us to do anything that we just can't do, right? Uh, And so think of all the money and trouble in your life that could have been avoided had you handled a certain situation by just stopping being thankful and praying to God about it. You know, that, that's, that stings, right? There's definitely some things in my life where I'm like, wow, I, I sure wish I would have just taken a beat there. But uh, so in the same way, Egypt or Israel, uh, you know, think of all the money and trouble that Judah would have saved if they'd been still, like we talked about last week, and just trusted God. So we'll read on here. Isaiah 31, verse 2. He says, yet he also is wise. So God, he, God, is also, also is wise. And will bring disaster and does not retract his words, but will arise against the house of evildoers and against the help of the workers of iniquity. So in other words, he says, you're going to Egypt because you think they're wise and because you think they're going to protect you. Well, God actually is wise, right? And actually does do what he says he's going to do. Because we got a little sneak peek of that last week, right? What... uh, what ends up happening is Egypt says, sure, we'll take your money, we'll protect you, and then as soon as Assyria shows up, they're like, what arrangement? You know, they don't, they don't protect them at all. But I'm just reminded, Isaiah later in this book, he, uh, you may be familiar with this passage, but Isaiah 55, uh, verses 10 and 11, it says, For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and making it bare and sprout, And furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so will my word be which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. So in other words, if God says it, he's going to do it. And if he promised it, 
he's going he's gonna to fulfill it, right? We're going to read on here. Isaiah 32, or I'm sorry, 31, verse 3. It says, Now the Egyptians are men and not God, and their horses are flesh and not spirit. So the Lord will stretch out his hand, and he uh, who helps will stumble, and he who is helped will fall, and all of them will come to an end together. So he says, this help that you're going after is not going to be helpful. Verse 4, For thus says the Lord to me, as the lion or the young lion growls over his prey, against which a band of shepherds is called out, and he will not be terrified at their voice, nor disturbed at their noise, so will the Lord of hosts come down to wage war on Mount Zion and on its hill. Like flying birds, so the Lord of hosts will protect Jerusalem. He will protect and deliver it. He will pass over and rescue it. This verse really hit me. Verse 6. Return to him from whom you have deeply defected, O sons of Israel. Verse 7, for in that day, remember that's the expression we always want to keep an eye out for in Isaiah. Uh, anytime he says in that day, we know he's talking about future events surrounding the, the return of Christ. He says, in that day, every man will cast away his silver idols and his gold idols, which your sinful hands have made for you as a sin. So in that day, all idols that we have are going to be just cast aside. And I think it's a good idea, right? Every so often, just check yourself. What are my idols? Because you may have put some down and found some, some new ones. And I don't mean like, you know, who, whose poster do you have on your wall? You know, uh, is that even a thing? Now, do kids still do posters? Probably not. Mine don't anyway. Um, all those things I mentioned earlier, those things we turn to when trouble comes, uh, when I'm discouraged, when I'm upset, uh, if, if there is a thing that I turn to when I'm upset or I'm discouraged or when trouble comes, it's serving as my God. It's, it's my source of comfort. And, and we, you know, we all have that. That's why all throughout Scripture, and I don't know for sure if it's in every book, but in nearly every book in the Bible, uh, there is a command to flee idolatry because it's the sin we're most prone to, right? We, all, we just we make idols. It's what we do. We pin our hopes on a thing or on a person. Whatever that is, is actually an anchor holding you back is what, what we're told in Hebrews. It's uh, something that's preventing you uh, from running this race as, as well or as good as you can. And so you might as well toss it aside now because one day you will, right? We, we're told for sure uh, at Christ's return we're all going to cast aside our idols. Verse 8, it says, And the Assyrian will fall by a sword, not of man. Now remember, the Assyrian is a name that Isaiah uses for uh, this corrupt world leader uh, that's in power in the last days. So we call him the Antichrist or whatever you want to call him. 
But that's a, that's a title that he gives him, the Assyrian, will fall by a sword not of man, and a sword not of man will devour him. So he will not escape the sword, and his young men will become forced laborers. So it says this guy is going to fall by, by a sword not of man. It will, it, will be, uh, you know, it will be through Jesus that he's defeated, basically. Verse 9, it says, His rock will pass away because of panic, and his princes will be terrified at the standard, declares the Lord, whose fire is in Zion and whose furnace is in Jerusalem. Okay, so this is a, that was a short chapter, but there's this phenomena in prophecy, and especially in Isaiah, we see it happen over and over and over. Where they call it prophetic telescoping. And it's just basically where you'll be going along, and all of a sudden prophecy flashes way forward or way back in time. Right, uh, and that's that's what we're going to get here. Is you know he was talking about they're turning to Egypt right now, and then and then all at once he telescopes to the to the future, uh, you know, talking about the Assyrian and, and the return of Christ. So uh, we're going to go right into chapter thirty-two because we're at one of those points now. Uh, verse one it says, "Behold, a king will reign righteously." That in and, of, in and of itself is like a, an amazing prophecy, right? That any leader would ever lead righteously. But he says, no, in this day, in that day, there will be a king who leads, who will reign righteously. Who is that? Right, that's Jesus, right? King of kings, Lord of lords. But get this second part of the verse. A king will reign righteously and princes will rule justly. So who are the princes? Galatians 4 gives us a little, little hint. Uh, we'll pick up in verse 4. It says, When the fullness of time came, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Now this is an expression you see a couple times in the New Testament. Now, we're not adopted into God's family, right? We are born again, right? When you believe, you are born again uh, into his family. But in the ancient world, adoption, especially in the Roman culture, adoption was this. When my son reached adulthood and I could trust him, you know, when I could trust him to, like, speak on my behalf, he could go into town and charge things on my account, uh, you know, it, he, if he speaks, it's like me speaking, Right? He's got all the rights and privileges of, of, you know, a son of the king. Then I would adopt my son. I would publicly announce to everyone, now my son is, he has all the full rights. He's not a kid anymore. He's a man, whatever. So in the, in the New Testament, when it talks about our adoption as sons, he's talking about when we will be fully transformed, right? When we've, we've got all the full Everything that God has in mind and in store for us, we have. So he, so he did this so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons, right? So that we might receive everything that God has for us. Verse 6, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba, that just means... It's a, it's a term of an affection and endearment. It's like daddy, right? 
Verse 7, therefore you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Right? What do you call the son of a king? Prince. A daughter of a king is a... Yeah. In 1 Corinthians 6, uh, it says that we, the saints, the, the sons and daughters of God, will one day judge the world. Uh, in Revelation 2, uh, I think it's 25 or 26, it's, it says something along the lines of, uh, to, to him who overcomes and does my will to the end, um, I give authority over all the nations. And so in the kingdom, our job if you are a believer in Jesus, one of our jobs will be to help him rule his kingdom. And to help him make sure that justice is being served. To help make sure that uh, the people in the kingdom are blessed in every way possible. And that's exciting because, you know, we'll be able to do that because we're heirs of the king, Right? But you ever, you ever wish you could do more for someone? You ever run into someone where you, I wish I could bless them more. Right? I wish I could give them more, but, you know, I, I just don't have it. Or, or I can only afford this. Or. One day, we'll be able to give everything. Right? We'll be able to, uh, to bless people in ways we can't even imagine. But what I, when I was studying this, I just got to thinking about, about that. That, you know, the kingdom is coming. But when Jesus, in the New Testament, when he first appears on the scene, right? John the, John the Baptist goes around telling everyone to repent for what? For the kingdom of heaven is at hand, he says. He says, right there is the king. The kingdom is wherever the king is. And the Bible tells us that if you're a believer, that he is in you. So I think sometimes we, we, uh, we put off helping people or blessing people as much as we could because um, we're too concerned with the future and not with the present. Like the kingdom is actually, yes, there's a future kingdom, but he's in you, right? He wants you to be living out the principles of the kingdom now, to be a blessing to people now. We'll read on. Isaiah 32, verse 2. And it says, each will be like a refuge. So each, the king and the princes, right? So Jesus and the saints. Uh, will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. So, here's what I'm getting at. I know I'm, I'm kind of going around in circles with this, but do your friends feel safe in you as a hiding place with their issues and problems? Right. Do they feel safe to talk to you about it? Because that's what a refuge is. 
Can they talk to you and know that you're not going to run and tell someone, someone else? Uh, are you known as a, a shelter uh, during storms, or do you kind of whip up more wind? Because some of us are that way. We love the drama and excitement, and we like to add a little bit to the story to make it, you know, make it a little better. Can you, do you, uh, are you refreshing to people? Uh, do you provide shade during hot times, right? When, when things are going rough, are you someone that people can turn to and kind of calm things down? Or do you make it even hotter? Right, because that's, that's what he's describing. That's what God's children, the heirs of the kingdom, should be like, right? We calm things down. We help make peace. We are a refuge and all of those things. We'll read on, verse, uh, verse 3. So we see some other things that are going to be set right. It says, Then the eyes of those who will see uh, will... The eyes of those who see will not be blinded, and the ears of those who hear will listen. The mind of the hasty will discern the truth, and the tongue of the stammerers will hasten to speak clearly. No longer, <laughs> I had, this verse is fun, no longer will the fool be called noble, or the rogue be spoken of as generous. Right? So he's talking about a time when things are going to be set right. Now, I want to... I want to read that last verse to you uh, from the King James. 32.5, it says, The vile person shall be no more called liberal. You do with that what you want. Uh, <laughs> so, so basically, no longer will uh, the foolish or wicked people... Um, be held up high, right? Those, those are the type of people that now we make celebrities. Now we make them presidents, you know? And the word there, it's funny, because both translations are accurate. Okay, the King James says um, liberal, and uh, here we see fool. The word is in Nabal in the Hebrew. It's it's one who lives without acknowledgement of moral or spiritual obligations. <laughs> hey, I didn't write it. So I'm going to read this verse again from the NLT. Uh, it says, In that day, ungodly fools will not be heroes. Wealthy cheaters will not be respected as outstanding citizens. I like that, right? That's, in that day, fools will not be lifted up as a standard. We'll read on here, verse 6. It says, For a fool speaks nonsense, and his heart inclines toward wickedness, to practice ungodliness, and to speak error against the Lord, to keep the hungry person unsatisfied, and to withhold drink from the thirsty. As for a rogue, now this is a different word. This is uh, someone who works deviously uh, for self-advantage, but also to harm others, right? So this is someone who 
A fool, just they might hurt someone without even meaning to because they're a fool. A rogue, they meant to do it. It says, as for a rogue, his weapons are evil. He devises wicked schemes to destroy the afflicted with slander. Even though the needy one speaks what is right. Right? So even, even though someone is calling for help in a, in a thing that they, it's right to help them, this person will go out of their way to make sure that person is not helped. Now, that may, you may think, well, you know, there's not very many people like that. But there are, uh, there are people in our world today that are actively seeking to keep poor people poor. Right? To keep hungry people hungry to their own ends, right? Because it creates a, a voting base or because it uh, helps line their pocketbooks or whatever the case may be. There are people who are doing this. There are also people who slander and who uh, they slander those who tell the truth, right? We tear down anyone who speaks simple truths that we know to be, you know, that are self evident. And he mentions another one here. He says that these people speak error against the Lord. It's probably the the worst charge on there, right? That they try to paint a picture of God that is inaccurate. Uh, You know, we we see plenty of that. Plenty of skeptics and and, uh, YouTube videos and all that kind of stuff. Verse 8 says, But the noble man devises noble plans, and by noble plans he stands. Rise up, you women who are at ease. Now he's taking a hard turn here. Rise up, you women who are at ease, and hear my voice. Give ear to my word, you complacent daughters. Within a year and a few days, you will be troubled, O complacent daughters, for the vintage is ended, and the fruit gathering will not come. Tremble, you women who are at ease. Be troubled, you complacent daughters. Strip, undress, and put sackcloth on your waist. Beat your breasts for the pleasant fields, for the fruitful vine, for the land of my people in which thorns and briars shall come up. Yea, for all the joyful houses and for the jubilant city, because the palace has been abandoned, the populated city forsaken, hill and watchtower have become caves forever, a delight for wild donkeys, a pasture for flocks. So, here's what he's getting at. These gals in Isaiah's day... um, were very comfortable in their surroundings, right? They had kind of grown accustomed to, this is how life is. And they could care less about Isaiah's doom and gloom message that he's been uh, spouting for years. They had life wired, right? They, they had their place kind of figured out. But they're in for a rude awakening is what he's letting them know. Now, there's a reason. Isaiah does this a few times in this book, specifically calls out the women. Now, it's not that the women uh, in his day were the cause or the root or that they were the, you know, the main perpetrators of any of these crimes or sins. But here's the thing, uh, and we see this elsewhere in Scripture. Women are the ther- thermometers of a society. As, as you go, ladies... So go your children, and those children become leaders, and those leaders make decisions. Now, it's, it's incumbent on both the father and the, do- and the 
mother to, you know, to lead their children. But the reality is, who do they spend most of their time with? Right? Uh, you, are the, you are the thermometer or the barometer uh, of a society. There's this expression, you probably maybe heard it uh, from a guy named G. Michael Hoff. Uh, But he says that hard times create strong men. Strong men create good times. Good times create weak men. And weak men create hard times. I think we're at the tail end of that cycle right now. Uh, And we're all seeing it, right? Weak men have created hard times. Jesus, uh, you know, in one of his parables, the parable of the sower, you know, he talks about uh, the sower goes out and he's sowing seed on different types of ground, and each type of ground sort of represents a different type of person. And, and there's one, um, he says that, you know, this one particular type of ground, he, he hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, but he has no root in himself. And, uh, and and he endures only for a while. But when tribulation and persecution comes, uh, he stumbles. I think there's, you know, it's the tree and, and the plants that have the deepest roots that are able to live through the harshest and driest times. And so I've really been praying for my family and for yours, for this church, for our country. Uh, hard times are coming. And uh, I think there are many in the church, not necessarily just this church, but the worldwide church, who have never really encountered hard times, never had their faith tested. And praying that we're not ones that stumble during that time. Uh, You know, the test, where the rubber meets the road for a Christian is when difficult times come. You know, what will difficult times do to you? Will you, like we talked about earlier, will you be a refuge and, and, and shade, or are you going to make things <laughs> worse, you know? So before we read verse 15, I know I kind of went a, a little off topic there, but uh, what did Isaiah just describe? He described terrible times, right? He says these, are go- these coming times are times of desolation and thorns and briars, and mourning. Verse 15. Until the Spirit is poured out upon us from on high. And the wilderness becomes a fertile field. And the fertile field is considered as a forest. He says, yes, those times are coming. But the Spirit is going to be poured out. Right? The Spirit brings life. You don't have to wait for Jesus to come back for that life uh, that the Spirit has to offer you, right? To be a part of your life. And John 7, verse 37, says this. Uh, on, the, on the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried out, saying, If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the Scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And he goes on, if you read the rest of that chapter, it you know, clears it up that he's talking about the Holy Spirit. But if you're in a dry season, uh, if you're thirsty, I just want to remind you that if you've believed, you've got his Spirit in you, you've got this fountain, if you drink from it, your flesh is pushing you to do what is worst for it. That's what the flesh does. But you come to the fountain and drink. That means you, you talk to him and you let him talk to you. And, and be refreshed. We'll read on here. Isaiah 32, verse 16. It says, Then justice will dwell in the wilderness, and righteousness will abide in the fertile field. And the work of righteousness will be peace. And the service of righteousness, quietness, and confidence forever. Then my people will live in a peaceful habitation, and in secure dwellings, and in undisturbed resting places. Look, people have lots of ideas about what it takes to get peace in your life. Um, it can be tempting to like I mentioned earlier, it can be tempting to think that the only way, you know, the Bible says there's no rest for the weary, right? There's no rest for the wicked, so I'm not going to have peace until I'm home in heaven. So I'm just going to look forward to heaven and kind of give up on what's happening here. To be so future-focused that we neglect the present. Uh, I have a poster in my office that says uh, don't be so how's it go gosh it's in my own office I can't remember don't be so Sunday minded that you're not uh, no Monday good you know basically don't don't save up all of your uh, your worship for just you know that hour on Sunday the kingdom is coming right and and the, but the king has already come so, I'm going to read you one little passage here, and then we'll, we'll close it out. In 2 Peter chapter 1, um, you have everything you need to have peace in your life. You have everything you need to be a blessing to other people. And here's what Peter says. 2 Peter 1, verse 2. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. His divine power... Look at that. Has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. I know when you're in the midst of troubled times, you, it's, it's easy to just, you know, try to block it out and just think of someday I won't have to deal with this. Right? And, I, you know, I, I've closed every sermon, I believe, that I've ever preached with come and come quickly, right? But I, I pray for that. I pray for him to come back quickly. Uh, but, you know, you don't want to be so heavenly-minded that you're no earthly good. Be a blessing right here and now. He's, over, he's given you everything you need to do that. Let me pray for you. Lord, we thank you for preserving your word for us. We thank you that, uh, that you've given us everything we need to lead a godly life. But Lord, we've, we're still in the flesh, and, and you know that uh, we, we've turned to idols 
rather than turning to you. We've listened to fools rather than, uh, than listening to your word. Lord, we just pray that you would uh, draw us even closer to you. Remind us of your presence, that anyone who's thirsty, uh, Lord, that they would just drink from that fountain that, uh, that you give. And Lord, we pray that uh, we would be a comfort to others in times of trial, that we would be a refuge, that we would be all those things that you've called us to be. And that if, if we're going through trials, Lord, put people in our lives who will remind us of those things and be your hands and be your feet here on earth. Lord, we pray that you come and come quickly. And we pray this in your holy and precious name. Amen. All right. Ready? Break. <laughs>